Podcast of the cinema. Starring Alonzo Duraldi. And Dave White. I just said his name. He said my name. Yes. We're both film critics. Mm-hmm. We, he's a reviews editor at The Wrap. I'm one of the stable film critics at The, the Wrap. The bullpen. You're one of the, I'm one of the many. You're the one and only. And you do all the podcasts. You don't have to name them now. I have forgotten their names, so I won't be naming them now. Good. Uh, we're married to each other. Mm-hmm. It's a day when Spectrum is coming over, so there's a tension. The cable in the house. guy is coming over uh, in one hour, like exactly one hour from now. Yeah. So we have to be finished by then, mm-hmm. and we have, we both have to look cute. So that you... I'm going to have an N95 mask on. So that you can take him as a lover. (laughs) And I can watch from afar and plot his demise. That's our new new relationship dynamic. Will you be... Keeps things spicy. Will you plot his demise in your snail hutch? Yeah. (laughs) I'm keeping snails now. (laughs) I stare at them lovingly. Because, I mean, why wouldn't you? Snails are cool. Also, they can apparently, I don't know if it's true or not, but according to this movie, also snails can kill you. Apparently. I didn't know that. Uh, it's a heck of a metaphor, unless it's, and, and maybe also possibly a true fact, I don't know. <laughs> uh, what day is it? Tuesday. Tuesday. March 22nd. Yes. Them Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. They're here. It's upon us. Yes. It's Academy Awards Eve almost. Alonzo, who's got all the noms? It's Hollywood's <laughs> biggest nights. Who's got all the noms? Who's the front runner? Who's the underdog? Who's the dark horse? <laughs> who's snubbed? <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> who are you wearing? You don't care about any of these things. Um, you know what I care about? I care about who they're wearing. Well, sure. That's the part I care about. I care about, look, they start at 5 o'clock. Pacific time, right? Live yes. here on the the left coast, mm-hmm. and um, the uh, and then that red carpet that gets going at like two, three. Well, like it's it's an afternoon pregame Jessica, situation. Jessica Chastain has already said she is not walking the red carpet. Why? Because she's going in early for the Schmoskers. For all the shows, for all the award categories that aren't going to make it to the show. Right. To cheer on her Eyes of Tammy Faye hair and makeup gang. Oh, okay. I see. Um, well, you know, I, I'm sure someone will get a photo of her in her great gown. Beautiful gown. Beautiful gowns. And then uh, I'll know later who she wore. I hate to be that person, but I am that person. That's all I care about. I want the, the rule the this fashions, year to be the fashions, the antics. You have to wear who misbehaves. You have to wear I need to know it all. You have to wear a dress that was featured on HBO's The Gilded Age. <laughs> so many dresses to choose like from. Giant fluttering aluminum foil creations. Yeah, flounces and yeah. bustles, bustles, corsets, bonnets, hats. With three peacock feathers sticking straight up out of Ruffles. Her. Essentially what Cher wore the year she won for Moonstruck. Pretty that, much. That, was that the year she won? Yeah. That outfit? Yeah. I thought, Am I wrong? I think I, I'm I thought, right. No, I think that was like the I year. I think I'm right. I thought that was like. Shall we go to the tape? I, I thought that was like the year after where she was like, after she got snubbed for masks, she was like, oh, you're not going to take me seriously? Check this out. Sometimes I think you're just phoning it in. We're back. As a homosexual. We're back. Here's what happened. Here's the history. Yes. She didn't win, 
or she didn't get nominated or something like that. For mask. For mask. So the next year she thought, well, who cares? Nothing matters. Right. I'm going to wear an insane uh, outfit that Bob Mackie uh, is going to make for me. Yes. And a different insane outfit. And it's the Bob one. Mackie's it's the one with the headdress and yes. it looks like a spider web and it's it's wild. Yes. Uh, it is currently apparently on display at the Academy Museum right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then the next year, when she actually won. Two years later. Two years later, when she won for Moonstruck. Yes. She wore something not dissimilar. <laughs> yes. It, it, it's more bikini than evening gown, I would argue. But, right. you know. Yeah. Also uh, an evening There's an gown, entire right? article about it on VanityFair.com. Uh, oh, I was looking at Vogue.co.uk. Called The Making of Cher's Oscar Revenge Dress. <laughs> From February of this year, so it's still it's a fresh article for uh, all of y'all to uh, enjoy. So I'd like to I'd like you to take back that insult that you just leveled at me about how I don't do my my my, my responsibilities. Uh, your due diligence a, is lacking as a as a queer, and I would like uh, a public apology. No, I'm, I I stand by it. You you I got dug up you conflated. Two different oh, Bob no. Mackie gowns. How dare you? Uh, you're right. I'm not here for this erasure of history. You're maybe. right. You're right. I'm wrong. I'm the one who should be publicly apologizing to you. Yes. And to share. Next, you're going to tell And to Bob me- Mackie, who is still alive. He is. <laughs> Bless his heart. You, you. Next, you're going to get Robin and Robin S confused and never. And, <laughs> It'll never and pretend happen. like that's okay. And I'm here to say that it is not. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, I will, um, I, I will never, you're, you're I'll never be wrong them. again. They're looking forward to that. <laughs> we have, um, two plus three films to discuss. Yes. Two, two new streaming ones, movies three and reissues. three reissues. Yeah. You know. And, uh, we saw The Lost City, but oh. that's... I'm sorry, wait, am I what? not going to talk about The Batman yet? Or do we want to save that until you oh. see it? Oh, didn't you talk about it last time? No. You sure I, about I that? just saw it last Wednesday. Remember? Oh, well, get in that Batman thing. Talk about The Batman. Okay. I forgot about that yeah. because I didn't go with you. Uh, Yeah, I finally went and saw The Batman. Three-hour movie, going to kill my legs and back uh, <laughs> and my butt and stuff. Can't do it. I, uh, I, I went, movie theater. went to the Burbank yeah. IMAX. Uh, the AMC Burbank 16. Yes. With the city's most confusing parking lot. Yes. <laughs> but you know what? I have, it's, Look, for me, it's like any other like mall cineplex. Yeah. I have the one place you where know I exactly always where park going, right. so I don't get lost later because I, yeah. I always go to back to the same place. Yeah. So I go to the one by the Fuddruckers. Yeah. Back in the day, the general cinema that used to be at Century City the one that no longer exists. Oh, the one that's in what's now the CAA building? Yes. Yes. That parking lot Oof. was 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 like an actual nightmare. Oh, for sure. You didn't know where you were yeah. ever. You didn't know how to get out, how to get in. It was it was horrible all the time. Yeah. And then they leveled the whole place and that's where they shot one of the Planet of the Apes movies, the futuristic one. Yeah, and like the King Family special that we saw. Remember? Yeah, yeah, King and, Family special. And Mary Tyler Moore go, takes Best shopping there. Yeah. It was a mall. It was a movie theater. It was a theater theater. Yeah. I saw the touring company of Mamma Mia there. <laughs> <laughs> and then they tore... I, I had free tickets. And then they tore the whole thing down. And uh, and now it's now it's the Death Star, as we all call it. Um. But now the most confusing parking lot. And the parking lot. lot is still a pain in the ass. Well, yeah. Now the most confusing parking lot, apart from the Century City Westfield Shopping Center. Oh, yeah. Which is its own, like, pit of hell. Yes. Uh, is the, the, AMC, Burbank. the AMC Century City? Not, right. not Century City. The AMC Burbank 16 uh, parking lot. Well, yeah. If you try to park in the, like, the Ikea part, forget it. You're, you'll never find your car again. But right. I, I, I go to the freestanding one next to the islands, and I'm good. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I went there, uh, had had not been to like a big old IMAX movie. Well, actually, not take it back. Last summer in the IMAX, they showed us The Suicide Squad. But um, everything was so loud. 
like all the trailers and and you know you and i have our thing down pat now where we just keep our eyes closed during the trailers i have a little trailer nap yeah because they're about 20 minutes and it's a perfect time to take a little nap and no amount of loudness will deter me from catching a few see i wanted to nod off and have it get a little pre-nap for my three-hour superhero excursion right but every every trailer sounds like this Oh, I know. Like it's crazy. Like yeah. so much bass and so much thud. Yeah. Anyway, um, the Batman. Talk about is, the film. It's you? it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was all right. I need something more than that. Okay. Um. Right. All right, everybody, with calm down with your David Fincher comparisons. Like, yes, there is. There are some seven style elaborate murder setups, and some Zodiac style like pages of hieroglyphs you know right but the resemblance kind of ends there but they're going for something it's matt reeves the guy who did the uh the other planet of the apes movies uh the more recent ones <clears throat> and um you know like robert pattinson is a sort of emo bruce wayne i guess okay. <laughs> uh who's trying to fix gotham only to find out that um that the rot runs deep Yes. deeper than he had expected and along the way crosses paths with the the new Catwoman, played by zoe kravitz and she's yes. actually really an interesting character and uh-huh. has a cool backstory and there are some fun surprises along the way that i won't spoil but um fun surprises or the just, kind that would make you depressed <laughs> uh no i mean not gloomy surprises just like sort of plot, right. plot things that are solved along the course of the film i see and they definitely do play up the idea of him being a great detective in this one, which uh-huh. he doesn't always do in the movies. Right. Um, yeah, it was fine. <laughs> it was fine. It was fine. I don't. I mean, like, it didn't. It didn't delight me. I didn't. Not occasionally think, God, why is this three hours? Um, but I didn't hate it. It wasn't incomprehensible the way like the Zack Snyder movies are. Yeah. Um. I would I would see another one, you know, in this current, you know, thread of things. Do we know when it streams? I do not, but I just found out from Christy. Because that's how I'll be looking at it yes. on the couch. I just found yeah. out from Christy today. Yes. Unbeknownst to me, today on Paramount Plus, Jackass Forever. Oh, sweet. Yes. All right, right on. So we, we can catch up on that one. We can finally watch that yeah. one. Why don't you have much to say about your favorite <laughs> old dude, Batman? Uh, why are you why are you sort of like eh, it was fine move on what is that it what's was, going on it was kind of fine like I haven't th- like, except for talking about it with like Christy and stuff I haven't thought about this movie again like it it sort of oh, rolled it, off it, my it back it rolled off you kind of well that's that's something to talk about alright well yeah it rolled why, off why is that uh, I maybe I'm just getting burned out on all superheroes all the time or specifically so much Batman um you the know, condiment it, king or whatever his name is. Yes, give me give me some condiment king. We need that. I can. That I'm back on board. I just learned who that was <laughs> yesterday. Um, he sounds great. It's look. I, I I don't I don't mean to be shady. This, this and his best friend tartar sauce Tommy. <laughs> there's there's entertaining stuff in this movie. There are some ideas in this movie. The performances are pretty good. You know, like, um, uh, uh, what's his face? Paul Dano makes a good, creepy Riddler. Actually, he has a girlfriend named Tartar Sauce Tammy. That's there what, we, That's yes. it. I just workshopped Boom. it right here. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I'm not mad at this new Batman. I'm just not thrilled about this new Batman. Okay. <laughs> I'm just... I, I've known you 27 years. Yes. Uh, and and from the moment I met you, I thought, "Oh, dang, an actual nerd!" <laughs> like he likes, he doesn't just read the cool comic books of the '90s, you know, Eight Ball and whatnot. Mm-hmm. He reads like Superman. <laughs> <laughs> Things like that. And and I've always been sort of like, you know, dogs look at you when they don't understand what's going on. They cock their head. <laughs> like, that's me and you in this. That's our relationship regarding this subject. Right. I rely on you 
to interpret this stuff for me, a not nerd. Well, here's the thing. Who is very cool. I don't know if you've... (laughs) I don't know if you've noticed this in the time that we've spent together, but I haven't really read comics on a regular basis in about 20 years now. That's not true. That is 100% not true. You... Uh, dig into anthologies and graphic novels. Not and that frequently. The friends ones, bring some the over. The ones that we've like had on the shelf have been sitting here for a very long time. Mm, he's making up a story. It's guys. I'm look. Yeah. I would cop to it if I did. Yeah. I walk into a comic shop now and I don't feel like I know what's going on. Right. I feel like you well, know they've never heard of you either. They have exactly. <laughs> We're strangers to each other. No, like DC and Marvel have rebooted their universes so many times at this point. I don't know where we're where I'm standing. Right. So like every so often, like when I visit Dallas, I like to go to Zeus Comics because yeah. Zeus Comics is great. Yeah. And see our friend Richard. And I'll pick up some things. And I'll be like, oh, here's this squirrel girl I keep hearing about. You just like to pop in and see what's going on. I like to pop in. <laughs> but generally speaking, it's not a big thing. And in the time that I have moved away from comics, comics have become the font of all popular culture. They have. Um, And so it's like, okay, I guess this is happening now. I don't know. It's not like I ever read comics because I was trying to be an edgy outsider, but there is nothing edgy or outsidery about comics anymore. (laughs) That's that's correct. All right, then I guess we're going to move on. I guess we are. And when I see the the Batman on streaming, I'll have something profound to say about it. Great. Can't, can't wait. <laughs> I agree with whoever was on Twitter that said, if we keep getting a new joke every few years, when are we getting a new Penelope pea soup? Explain what is a Penelope pea soup, please. A character that Glynis Johns played on the 1968 Batman series who ran a finishing school for girls where they were all actually being trained to be criminals. And she could create, she and Lord Phileas Fogg, played by Rudy Valley, could create oh. <laughs> synthetic fog to cover their tracks in Londinium. Fun. That's fun. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. So let's move on to the next new film. Okay. Let's talk around Windfall. Sure. Because the only way to talk about Windfall is to talk around it. Yes. It is a film from Charlie McDowell. Yes. The director of The One I Love mm-hmm. uh, that starred uh, Elizabeth Moss and which one of the Mark du- Duplass. Which one of the Duplasses? Yeah. Mark Duplass. And um, so that, you know, uh, sort of cranked up my, my interest. Yes. He and Jason Siegel came up with the story uh, and... Uh, Justin Later, I don't know who that is, but they all wrote it together. Well, a- Andrew Kevin Walker, who wrote Seven, uh, co-wrote it with Justin Later, who wrote the one I love. I see. Okay. Uh, and then now I know who Justin Later is. Yeah. So, right. but the four of them share a, a, a screenwriting credit. I see. Uh, it stars four people: Jason Siegel, Jesse Plemons, Lily Collins, and a character actor named Omar Leva who shows up later on in the film mm-hmm. for a small amount of time. Uh, no one in this movie has a name. No character has a name. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Plemons and Lily Collins play a uh, married couple. He is a tech billionaire. Yes. She is married to him, and she runs his... Foundation. So they are younger, cooler, cuter, cuter uh, Bill Gates, uh, Bill and Melinda, <laughs> and the and the former wife, uh, Melinda. Melinda. Yes. Um, Jason Siegel is just some guy, yeah, who has broken into their desert vacation getaway. Yes. Well, it's not the desert. It's by an orange grove. Looks like the desert to me. <laughs> It looks oh, like it, it's out by Palm Springs, it's, what oh, it looks it, like. It's Ojai. Oh, it's Ojai? Yeah. Okay. Ojai. In any case, he's broken in. Yeah. It is a luxurious compound. Yes. Everything decorated in, you know. Tasteful but expensive. Gray beige neutrals. <laughs> 
he's not expecting them. No. They show up. He has to kidnap them at this point. Yes. Uh, so he does. And that takes place in the first five minutes of the film. <laughs> and that's all we're going to tell. So I'm going to tell you about this movie uh, because what happens from there, and it's a short little movie too. It's like 85 minutes mm. with some credits on top of that. And what happens here is, you know, uh, some surprises. Yeah. Some reversals. Some things you're not seeing coming. If you're thinking it's just going to be like the desperate hours, it is not. Jason Siegel is the kind of, the kind of kidnapper that Macaulay Culkin could have taken out handily. <laughs> the reason Jesse Plemons and Lily Collins can't seem to do that to him is because it begins to feel as though they don't really care that they're being kidnapped. Not particularly. And everyone's kind of sits around talking to each other about strategy. And again, that is giving away nothing. Yeah. I generally liked it. Mm -hmm. Including the weird surprises. Yes. That you would have to sort of think about after the fact. But... Watching the interaction between these three characters, and it's largely a three-person, yeah, one-room situation. Much like the one I love was basically yes. a couple people in a house. little enclosed space where people are pretty much just threatening each other constantly. Yeah. This reminded me of an old Alfred Hitchcock Presents episode. Uh, you know, yeah. where it's this this confined space and everybody's got an agenda and you're not quite sure who's got the upper hand and they're like, who can team up against who? And People you thought were... Uh, allies. Allies, maybe they aren't. Yeah. You know, um, simmering discontent taking place. It's It's very stylish, like... This, yeah. this property just keeps going. Like, you think you've seen everything. You think you've seen it all, and there's just And suddenly more. there's bungalows, and there's yeah. a sauna, and there's, like, all this other stuff. Uh, it was shot by uh, Isaiah Dante Lee, who has not done a ton of stuff. But... Um, he likes a symmetrical composition. For sure. And by placing them in these sort of tableau, uh, he is pulling you away from them. Almost the entire film. Right. You're not meant to like really anybody. Oh, yeah. No, you're not rooting for anybody necessarily. <laughs> and, and you just want to see how it's all going to play And the out. way they exist in the frame is is that's a part of the visual information you're getting. You are sort of almost looking at them under a microscope. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm... He makes the most of a fire pit. I'm pretty pleased uh, with what I experienced here. Uh, Jesse Plemons, uh, as always, uh, really cool. Yes. No matter whether he's being, you know, the hapless brother in Power of the Dog or the supreme dick that he is in this film. <laughs> or let's forget the blankly creepy neighbor in Game Night. But, okay. One of the great in, Jesse Plemons in performances. Game Night, in Game Night, he's not blankly creepy. He's the funniest person in the movie. No, he's hysterical. The and, character is blankly creepy. Oh, the character is blankly creepy. He's hilarious. And <laughs> if you haven't seen Game Night, you really do owe it to yourself to see Game Night. I would yeah. watch that again. Oh, for sure. Today. Uh, yeah, unjustly ignored performance by him in Game Night. I, I, I Somebody had a thing recently, like if the Academy didn't ignore comedy so much, you know, right. like who would, who would have an award? I'm like, Jesse, Jesse Plemons, Plemons for Game, Game Night. Night. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, this is fine. It's, it, it is like on a Netflix. Just fine. I think so. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to bump it up to be a little better than fine. I think it's, it's good. Okay. If I was, this at, is good. If I was at fine for the Batman, then yes, this is good. This is good. This is good. Um, it wasn't, it didn't consistently hold me as, enthralled as certain parts of it did two years from now someone's going to ask me about it and i'm gonna go which one was that but you know what that's fine yeah 
Then I might watch it again and remind myself what I liked about it. I like the score. It's very old school noir. It is. Like unsettling, you know, uh, which I enjoyed. Also streaming and also a (laughs) bit of a throwback is uh, Deep Water. Deep Water, explain it, please. So uh, Adrian Lyne is back after after 20 years. 20 years, yeah. What have, what have you been doing, Adrian Lyle? Hanging out. He made a lot of money in the I, 80s and 90s. I guess. He made a lot of money in the 80s and but 90s. We, his movies were hits after hits after hits after hits. This is only like his ninth film yeah. of his entire career. It's crazy. Listen, um, work only as much as you have to. No, look, I I, I, I respect the lack of hustle, believe me. <laughs> in his shoes, I'd be, you, I wouldn't be coming back now, but here he is. Um this is based on a Patricia Highsmith novel, but uh, changes the ending. I discovered that by reading the wiki page. Okay. I won't tell you how. Yeah, please um, don't. Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas, who were a couple for a hot second while this movie was being made, uh, play a, a, a... If this film is accurate, a steamy hot a second. A very hot second. <laughs> Play a married couple who uh, are... He's another tech billionaire. Exactly. They're quite yeah. wealthy and comfortable. He invented a computer chip, which apparently uh, plays a large role in drone warfare, but he doesn't seem to have any qualms about that. He has zero qualms um, about that. You know, they, they, they're living the life in New Orleans in their schmancy house with their adorable young daughter and his snail hut out back. Um, is that daughter adorable or is she treacherous yes she's six but she has some chilling lines yeah no she knows how to she she knows how to play these two pretty well i will say well like she's gonna grow up to be a combination of both of them and the world better watch out out. (laughs) so uh character Likes to drink and likes to sleep with men who are not her husband. F, a series of F-boys. Yes, basically. very much. Uh, culminating in perhaps the iconic archetypal F-boy, Finn Whitlock. Um, <laughs> um, he's getting knocked off his throne by uh, Jacob... Uh, uh, what's his oh, name? Oh, from this movie? From Euphoria. Who's the guy on Euphoria? Oh, Fiordi. Jacob Elordi. El- oh, Lordy, sorry. Jacob Elordi on Euphoria. They're just like 6'5". Yeah. And he's one of her, you know, lovers mm-hmm. in this film. And uh, I think I think Finn Whitrock has some competition in, in the land of the F-Boys. Well, uh, sure. It's Look, you, you can't... Heavy hangs the crown, you know. <laughs> anyway... Uh, he would, you know, Affleck would appear to be sort of blasé about this, but clearly is has a roiling rage deep inside. Is there? I mean, yes. He well, does, here's the thing: everybody, also, everybody knows that she's doing it because she makes no yeah. attempt to hide it in the slightest. And he appears not to be jealous. Yeah, he appears to sort of enjoy the horny game of. Am I a cuck? Yeah. <laughs> or am I a murderer? <laughs> who who wants to try me and find out? Like, it's... No matter who he's talking to, his character does this. Well, yeah. I mean, I might murder him. <laughs> Maybe I did already. Maybe I didn't. No, I, 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 I killed him. I mean... But actually, I did kill him. Ha-ha. Oh, is that a joke? I don't know. Do you feel threatened? The daughter, the six-year-old is like, are you murdering people? He's like, no, darling. She's like, you can tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tracy Letts shows up as a uh, failed screenwriter who does a lot of glowering and stern looks. Tracy Letts is the... Hercule Poirot of this movie. <laughs> He's always like standing on the sidelines observing everybody. Yeah. What's yeah. all this then? <laughs> uh, and ultimately it kind of comes to a head where you're sort of like, it's not so much whether, uh, you know, Ben Affleck is is doing what he says he is or isn't or, or what he says he isn't or whatever, but it's, how does Anna de Armas feel about this exactly? And what's her response to things? 
And what um, does it say about their relationship and what it's built upon? What I, the I'll tell you what movie I kept coming back to while watching this was Cronenberg's Crash. <laughs> oh, um, this is like Crash for horny dumb people. <laughs> Is it too late to get that on the poster? <laughs> because it's about the thing that it's about. Oh, yeah, it's never not. And and yet it 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 isn't particularly bright or insightful about these things. It's just old-fashioned titillating. Yeah, it's this is a horny movie. Um and there's a lurid quality to uh, his his filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Unfaithful, Fatal Attraction, you know. Um, Nine and a half weeks. Right. He knows this genre, yeah. and it's a, it's a neglected genre. We don't get it much anymore, you know. They, they make Lifetime movies that are... Uh, sort of, yeah. Yeah, like, like you know... The, the the swingers who murder each other that lifetime movie yes. that we watched that one I, time. I think the I next, forget the name of it. I think but. the next couple of seasons of You Must Remember This is literally like the erotic thrillers of the eighties and nineties. Like that's how much of it's this is considered like the past in cinema. Yeah. Um and so on that you know front. I'm happy that this exists. Yes. Because these movies are extremely trashy and they're never good, and they don't hold up to you know any kind of questioning scrutiny about you know how irresponsible is this story that I'm watching <laughs> right now um and no one used to care about that stuff, and that's why these movies used to be super popular <laughs> well, like there was a whole thread of discussion in the eighties that basically because. AIDS made everybody so afraid of yes. sex that these movies were just sort of like they were the thing in the closet. They were you know? yeah. Back in the back in the eighties and early nineties, these were the movies that straight people watched because they were afraid of AIDS, yes. like that. And and they were cathartic in that way. Yeah, it was like they were about you stray and something horrific is going to happen. Exactly, it was yeah. both. It was vicariously, as you say, titillating, and at the same time, oh no, don't do that. You yeah, know? like the housekeeper, you know. Um. That is the name of it. Yeah. The Korean film? Yeah, yeah. Yes, the housekeeper. Yeah. And um So, you know, I don't I, I I'm not gonna give away what happens in this film either because it's Cuckoo bananas. Ludicrous. <laughs> the ending makes no logical sense, but I didn't care. I I I don't think it doesn't make sense. Um I think well, we you. can talk about this off the mic, uh, yes, but yes, there are elements of the last 15 minutes that I sat thinking, but why is that happening? Oh, well, well okay. why is that happening? What's who, that? Give it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, and ultimately, it didn't matter because this film is inconsequential. <laughs> Basically. If Windfall is aiming to be something, this movie is aiming to be nothing. And it effectively hits its mark. <laughs> so, you know, uh, if you got Hulu. Why not? Please enjoy the snails and the <laughs> weird kid and the. Uh, the passive aggressiveness. Yeah. <laughs> so much of it. Yeah. Uh, the Finn Whitrock of it all. Three reissued films. Yes. Are in. Uh, They're happening right now. Why don't you talk about the one that you uh, reviewed with Christy on Breakfast All Day? Uh, I just remembered the name of one of your other shows. Well done. Breakfast All Day. It's on YouTube. He he, he co-hosts it with Christy Lemire. Uh, We talked about the uh, 4K remaster and reissue of I've Heard the Mermaids Singing, which uh, opened at the Metrograph in New York. I believe it's playing the Alamo in L.A. and I imagine will be making its way around and ideally winding up on Blu-ray sometime soon now that there's a, a brand new version of it. Yeah. Uh, this is one of my favorite queer, pre-new queer cinema movies. Right, it's from the late 80s. From the late 80s. Yeah. Um, 
Patricia Rosema, a Canadian filmmaker. It's her big kind of breakthrough movie. Uh, it, I think it won the Prix de Jeunesse at Cannes that year uh-huh. of 86. Yeah. Uh, stars Sheila McCarthy, who is a character actress you might recognize from... She was in Die Things. Hard 2 and Stepping Out. Right. And, you know, I see her in Hallmark stuff now because she's Canadian. Um, and she plays a young woman named Polly who, you know, is, is very much of the, like, I don't have my act together kind of, you know, a female protagonist of that period. Uh, gets a job. She's, she, she's a temp and she gets a job in a gallery run by this very elegant woman whom she always refers to as the curator. Um, and is sort of smitten with her and sort of opens herself to the idea of like falling in love with a woman. Meanwhile, she takes photographs for pleasure. And, um, you know, she thinks that the, the curator is a really talented painter, but is too sort of, you know, nervous about sharing her stuff with the world. So she just, so Polly takes it and posts it in the gallery. And like, suddenly like the curator becomes this very big thing in the art world. And when Polly is inspired to anonymously submit some photographs to the gallery, the curator dismisses them very haughtily, and so it sort of forces Polly to kind of come to terms with, um, you know, appreciating her own voice and understanding who she is and who the who the curator isn't. Um, you know, she's given to these flights of fantasy, many of them scored to the flower duet from Lachme, which was not a cliche in 1986. It was not when Let's Patricia Rosema talk did about it. historical, you know, yes. uh, context here. It hadn't been used. It had not been overused. Yeah, at that at point, that it was like basically in this movie, and uh, I think Ridley Scott used it in a British Airways commercial at okay. some point around that time. Yeah. And then a few years later, it was in the movie Five Corners. Yeah. Remember that one? Yes. Uh, which I'm a fan of. Jodie Foster. And, yeah, uh, Tim Robbins. Yeah. And then it just sort of blew up in the early 90s and became ubiquitous. But yes. It was, so if you hear it in this movie, you think, ugh, they... She was. This was cutting edge for use of that particular piece of music. Um, yeah, I just think this movie's really charming and funny, and I love this character. I love how great she is, and how it sort of takes her a minute to understand that about herself. I love her. Her her awkwardness is delicious. There's a Japanese restaurant sequence where she is just so clearly unsure about how to do anything that, that it, it's, it's very funny and very sweet. Uh, yeah. It's a movie that I like a lot and I, it, has, it holds a special place for me. I saw it in college. I was still in the closet and it was just like a, a movie that I, I got a lot out of at the time. And so I'm glad it's getting another go round. Um, one of my favorite filmmakers, Simon Lang has two movies currently in, uh, restoration slash re-release to theaters Hmm. Uh, about to open I don't think it has opened yet at Metrograph in New York and then I don't know where it's going to wind up in Los Angeles but uh, is Viva L'Amour from 1994 Uh, it was his uh, second feature film after Rebels of the Neon God and uh, it's about three people in Taipei who unknowingly share the same apartment. Explain. Um, well, they come and go at different times of day, and they aren't aware of the presence of the others. And Wait, do each of these people think that they have the apartment to themselves? Um, they're using the space. Okay. Does that make sense? I guess. So, yeah. so there's not like a who ate my yogurt. <laughs> Uh, it's interesting, Alonzo, not any one person in the film says, hey, who ate my yogurt? <laughs> and I'll tell you why that happens. He's leaving because, money on the table. Because Simon Lang characters almost never speak. Ah, <laughs> they brood about, who ate my yogurt? Um, this, if you know an, a, enough or a little or a lot or who knows, maybe nothing, if you're about his films... Um, the idea of sort of breaking and entering is something that comes up in other uh, films as well. In uh, Stray Dogs, there are people who occupy uh, real estate that doesn't belong to them. Um, there is uh, his entire his film called The Hole that got a re-release uh, in 2020 where a man and a woman 
in the middle of a plague find themselves the last two people in their apartment building and there's a hole in the floor of one of the apartments and the other person underneath them is below and they have communication through the hole. hole. But that's all they can do because there's a plague going on outside. Um, So Viva Lamore is uh, coming soon, if it's not already, at Metrograph in New York. And it'll, again, art houses uh, that, you know, venture into the Siming Lang territory will be uh, showing it. What I love about Viva Lamore is that uh, it was, after Rebels of the Neon God, it was the film that sort of set a lot of the, set a lot of the tone for what would come with him. themes that he returns to over and over again. And of course the overarching one and basically his entire, uh, you know, uh, Ovra. Thank you for that word. Loneliness Mm. and, and disconnection. Um, and so, and that is what jump starts here. This is the one I may have told you about this one. I don't think you've seen it. Uh, You've seen just a, a few of his films. I'm not um, sure if I've seen any Chiming Lang. You saw Days? Oh, right. Yes, I did see Days. Thank you. Is yes. that the first one you saw? It might be. Oh, okay. Well, then you haven't seen this one. By the this way, is the uh, one... sorry, Viva Lamore is playing at the Metrograph right now. Right now. Speak. Okay. It's a 2K restaurant. This is the one that ends with a five-minute shot of one of the leads sitting on a park bench weeping. Uh, as opposed to Strays, which ends with a 15-minute shot of people staring at a fixed point, right? Yes. Um, but I remember watching it for the first time and thinking to myself, how long can a person cry? (laughs) Answer, as long as they need to. (laughs) (laughs) So I, uh, this, this really, this is the, this is, this is the first one of his films that I saw. Uh Uh, and it, it really turned me into an instant fan of what he would do in future uh, films. Just recently played at Metrograph and still making its way through art houses uh, in the country is what many people who love his films consider to be his masterpiece, uh, Goodbye Dragon Inn. Yes. Which is from 2003. Uh, It is set at a decaying uh, one screen, big, big, you know, movie theater. Um, on the last night of its uh, operation. And the film they are showing is the 1967 uh, Wuxia film, Dragon Inn. In the audience uh, of this movie theater are, you know, stray people, a grandfather taking his grandson to the movie, um, an annoying woman who, like, keeps eating peanuts and putting her feet on the chairs. Um, Some uh, sort of surreptitious gays who have turned the place into a cruising spot. (laughs) Uh, A ticket taker who sort of longs for the projectionist. The projectionist is, of course, Li Kang Sheng. (laughs) And, um, And two of the actors from Dragon Inn. Are in the audience, oh. and they talk after it's over. Uh, but there's almost, almost no dialogue in this film. In fact, you don't hear anyone speak until I'd say like the first after like 30, 40, 45 minutes. Uh, someone talks about how the theater's haunted, huh. and of course, it is, <laughs> uh, and it is just a a beautiful film about, first of all, about Simon Lang's own childhood love of theaters like that, that are quickly disappearing. Uh, and it's about, you know, his love of those kinds of films, the films like Dragon Inn. You brought this um, up when we talked about Labyrinth of Cinema. Yes. And it is also, again, it's about loneliness and disconnection because... 
the people in the in the in this space are all sort of dreaming about something that they can't get or that they've lost. Right. Um, it's such a beautiful movie. It's so incredibly, like, just perfectly realized. Um, and if you're a fan already or if you see it and you become a fan, I have to really highly recommend uh, uh, the book by Nick Pinkerton. He's a critic. One of my, he's one of my favorite critics. Um, he has written a book called Goodbye Dragon Inn, and it's in a little teeny tiny pocket-sized edition. Like, it's almost just a little bigger than a deck of cards. I mean, it is a, if you're, if you're old enough to remember the, uh, the Hanuman, Hanuman, Hanuman books, the little tiny uh, art books from the late 80s, early 90s, they would like, uh, you know, Cookie Mueller and, and Nick Zed and people like that. Oh, would, those, right. We put those out. We have two of them. Yes. Okay. Um, this book in size is just a little bigger than that, but it's pretty thick. And it's a really, it's a book length essay about the film and about, you know, the, the context of cinema going mm-hmm. and what movies do now and what they don't do now. Uh, and why the longing that is expressed in this film uh, just sort of, it's its reach if you are thinking about, you know, what kinds of movies you love and what kinds of movies are being made now. Uh, that longing is, is, it's everywhere now. If you care about something other than giant industrial filmmaking. Two things. First of all, Goodbye Dragon Inn and The Hole are both available to be watched at home on metrograph.com. Yes. You can go there and rent them or join the site or something, but those are accessible if you have high-speed internet and you want to see those. Uh, but if you got access to a cinema and you want to go see these films on the screen, uh, they're making their way around. They are indeed. Also, did you read the John Waters interview that just happened? That was in like the New York Times or something. Should I know something about this? He talks about how he touches he touches on a lot of things. He like he he, he basically says the only person who should be canceled is J.K. Rowling. Uh, but he said that 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 young filmmakers today don't want to make like underground movies. They want to be in a mall. They want to be in stadium seating. They want like you know super. Uh, elaborate digital effects it's not and entirely true, but I understand what he's saying. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, it's it, he, it, 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 as always provocative stuff from him. Right. Right. Uh, we have letters, and then we have to get out of here and get the cable guy in the apartment situated so that you can again take him as a lover, <laughs> and I can plot his demise. <laughs> He has no idea what he's stepping into. We don't into. even have a pool, Dave. <laughs> Much less a quarry. Uh, okay. Where are those letters? Oh, I'm scrolling man. down. Scrolling down. Scrolling How down. Scrolling down. How popular are you? I sent these to you right before we scrolling started recording. Down. You know what? I'll tell you how popular I am. Uh, William Sonoma. <laughs> wants me as a customer every day with them I've got my daily email from Josh Harutunian <laughs> Josh if you're listening I, I live for the for the, for the, for the, for the for the emails I'm not even being facetious they make my day the publicist who uh, yes, you yes. Know, promotes films yes films I films we like yes so, yeah um you know, I've got uh, Martha Stewart wedding advice. Oh, in my that's inbox. important. You know, a lot of things. Okay, so here I found one of the letters. Hooray. Yeah. Okay, uh, we got an email from, we got a letter from Shoddy about the Batman that I read through the whole thing and realized we cannot talk about it on the air because it's, uh, it, it centers with it centers around a spoiler of an activity, a, a scene that happens at the end that a, an entire discussion needs to be had about. Yes. But I can't say what it is because it's the end of the movie. It's like the thing that happens at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll keep we'll circle we'll, back. We'll keep it. this letter and go back to it when uh, maybe we do like a maybe maybe when I talk about it. 
Maybe. Okay. When I finally get to see it. But Dr. Steve also has a Batman uh, letter. Uh, in a previous email, I lamented about how superheroes, especially in the movies, seem to have abandoned justice for vengeance. And as an example, I cited how Batman was once a great detective, but is now depicted as unstoppable vengeance. So I found it interesting that this year's The Batman seemed to take note of that. His success is more based on his intellect and detective skills, and he explicitly shifts his mission of vengeance to one of being, sometimes literally, a beacon of hope for Gotham City. Yes. Okay. I'll figure that out when I see it, too. Yeah, without getting into spoilers, I will say that he shifts his game up over the course of the movie and comes to understand the downside of the of his current PR <laughs> and how to maybe change that up I in a way things. things people lulu <laughs> um as a way to if he if he wants to make Gotham City better he's got to you know start with the man in the bat mirror i guess that's right all right, Nathan. The subject of Sean Levy came up in a, in a in detail in a recent episode, and it must be remembered that his best work was his debut acting credit as the jerk in the Canadian horror film Zombie Nightmare. <laughs> I do not remember which those. was riffed on in Mystery Science Theater three thousand six sixth season. He looks pretty much the same, oh, wow. <laughs> which is wild. I, I remember Zombie Nightmare. I believe that's a John Michael Thor uh, movie, but I don't remember that. I didn't know that Sean Levy was in it. That's interesting uh, backstory there. Anyway, it probably is his best work. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, now we're done. It's time for Cable Guy. We are done. Uh, yeah. Please check out my other podcasts, uh, Breakfast All Day, Maximum Film, and Deck the Hallmark. And, um, you know... Go listen to our many and sundry friends on the internet. You know, Bibbs and Whitney over at Critically Acclaimed, Sewers of Paris, Comics Canon, All Things Cozy. You know the drill. Um, you can drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com. You can go to blueblu.bandcamp.com to get the latest from uh, our wonderful friend Blue, who composed the theme music to this show. You can follow us on social media at linoleumcast. Um, and you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. We'll read it on the show. You can also leave us positive feedback in places like uh, Spotify and Stitcher Radio and um, uh, Apple Music and Google Play and CastBox and Podbean and, you know, all those things. Um, yeah, we're winding up because Spectrum Guy is coming. We'll be back next time with more. Until then. Goodbye. <laughs>